John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. And uh, we ask that once you've found the scripture, uh, if you can stand as able for the reading of God's word. And uh, I will read the scripture, and at the end, that we will all respond with thanks be to God. So the word of God for the people of God. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, friends, we have been... uh, talking about, uh, through this kind of Advent series that we've had, uh, about the Word of God. And today's message is called The Word Made Flesh. And last week I mentioned that, you know, maybe some of the things that I'm going to share um, are a little bit different than maybe what some people have grown up with in your tradition, and that's totally fine. You know, uh, what I'm going to present, I think, is, is biblical and uh, is what God has kind of been teaching me, especially, I'd say, in like the last 10 years about the Word of God. Um, and so there's some convictions that I have that I, I, I'm very excited to share with you. But at the same time, I realize that for some people, uh, as it is for all of us, right, really, is that faith is a work in progress, and it's a journey. And you may be at different places. And so I just want to take a moment. I don't always do this before uh, we, we get into a message, but I want to just take a moment for us to just be still in prayer. Uh, because I, I think especially when it comes to the, the Word of God, we mentioned this last week, what makes it the word of God is when the spirit of God brings it to life. And, and to be able to hear from the spirit of God, I think sometimes we need to create that room within us. And some of that room, I think, is about humility. It's about being teachable and about being open. And again, this is not me trying to say that you have to just swallow everything I tell you. you know, um, you're going to have to wrestle with that and to, to see how that fits into what God is doing in your life. right? But to just pray that you know, if God wants to speak something, if God wants to kind of fill in some of the gaps or maybe readjust some things that, that we have come to believe or that we've heard before and we've just kind of taken it uh, at face value. But maybe sometimes I think it's good to re-eval- reevaluate some things. And so let's just take a moment to pray. If you would, pray with me. Lord, we come before you. And God, we desire to hear from you. That's what this is about, Lord. Hearing your word, the word of God. And we thank you, Lord, that you have so many means by which we can hear this word. But we recognize, Lord, as human beings, we're very limited in being able to understand that sometimes. Uh, We like to think we understand more than we do. But Lord, we're all strugglers and journeyers, Lord, in this journey of faith. So God, help us, Lord, to have ears to hear, for hearts to receive. God, to be mindful, Lord, of how this word is interacting with our past, with our stories, with some of the things that we have commonly held before. And maybe, God, you want to disrupt that a little bit. Maybe you want to bring new life. 
Maybe, God, you just want to confirm some things that you have already been uh, moving upon us, God. We pray for all of that, Lord, and we know, Lord, that you will bear fruit in your timing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, as we've been talking about the Word of God, uh, we started with uh, the spoken Word of God as God was speaking with the Israelites. And then last week we talked about the written Word of God and the law. And, uh, you know, we, we had this question last week, what do we do with the Bible? And we just have to recognize in this that I think throughout history, a lot of people have done many different things with the Bible, right? And, and I think we just have to come clean about that as Christians. I, I think sometimes we like to, to just sort of like think that we're the ones, you know, our, our uh, denomination or our people or, you know, the people that we kind of relate to have gotten it right and everyone else has gotten it wrong. Um, and, and sometimes I think, you know, especially for me, I, I definitely, a, as a pastor and as someone who, you know, my occupation is about ministry and is about, you know, the Word of God, um, I, I want to distance myself from some of the history that we have. But I think we have to acknowledge that and own it a little bit, right? That sometimes people have used the Bible in really just terrible ways. You know, there's no other way to put it, right? To reinforce ideas of slavery, to, to re- reinforce uh, ideas of uh, race, racial hierarchy, of segregation, to reinforce ideas of genocide even, right? To justify wars in all kinds of, for all kinds of different reasons, but sometimes with a Christian pretext, right? We have to own all of that. But at the same time, with the Bible, we have seen a lot of really wonderful things where the Bible has changed many people's lives, right? There's many people who have found hope and have found faith and peace and something that is transcendent, right? And there are many people who their faith and, and what they believe through the Bible has inspired, like the abolitionist movement in Europe, in America, has inspired people to work for human rights, has inspired people to work for social justice and a lot of different things, right? And, and the Bible, you know, definitely the stories and how I have met God in it has transformed my life. And maybe that's been your story as well. But I, I do want to kind of take these two things and, and kind of ask this question. You know, what do we do with this Bible? And why is it that so many people kind of come up with such wild different ways of looking at the Bible? And so I do want to address that idea of the word of God. And so there is this kind of idea that we're going to kind of come up against. And we're going to try to explain, what do we mean by the Word of God? So for many people, uh, the Word of God has just become synonymous with the Bible. And we just say, the Bible is the Word of God. I agree with that. It is the Word of God. But it's not the only Word of God. And how I know that is because (laughs) what we just read is that we, we said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, well, that, that's in the part that was before uh, what we read, actually. But um, yeah, that's in uh, John chapter 1 here. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I think that bears saying, because what it's saying here is Jesus is the Word. So if you think that the Bible is the Word of God, and it's the only Word of God, then we have a problem here, right? And so there's a question that we might ask. How can Jesus and the Bible both be the Word of God? 
right? I once saw in a forum post about this, someone, someone was just asking questions about faith. And they're like, if the Bible is the word of God and Jesus is the word of God, is Jesus the Bible? They were just doing this kind of like logical thing where they're like linking these two equalities and they're like, does that mean Jesus is the Bible? That makes no sense, right? And so friends, you, you know, we have to understand what is meant by the word of God. And definitely the Bible are words of God, for sure. But we are going to see, and we'll revisit this. We'll try to explain what we mean by this. In Jesus, this is kind of my thesis statement, guys. In Jesus, we see the fullness of the word of God. Right? That's what we're going to be talking about here. And so, um, again, you know, this idea that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see these two kind of metaphors, word and light. And light, we like to focus on this one because we understand it more, right? We're like light in the darkness, we're in dark times, and Jesus lights things, and, you know, it's just very kind of like, like nice to hear that, right? But what does light do? Light helps you to see, right? I know we have all kinds of other things with light. You know, it's hope and, you know, it's like, like makes everything bright and, you know, makes you feel better. And yeah, but just in a very just literal way, light helps you to see. And it seems as if the writer of the Gospel of John is saying that we were walking around in darkness. We couldn't see clearly, Right? And so for a lot of people who've had the word of God before, could it be that they couldn't see everything clearly? It doesn't mean that they couldn't see, but not everything clearly until the light comes. And then we can see things more clearly. And we are able to now receive this word, right? What do we mean by that? So it can't be just the written word, right? Because that doesn't make any sense. Jesus a human being, flesh and blood, can't be written words. But the, the, the Greek word is logos. And logos uh, in Greek thought, this is uh, from the Encyclopedia Britannica, just so you can kind of see. And, and it, you know, some of us, we, we kind of learn more by, by just kind of visually looking at something. And so in ancient Greek philosophy and early Christian theology, it is the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. I know that's kind of a mouthful, so, so let's try to unpack this a little bit. So logos, it, it can mean word, reason, or plan. And so they just have to pick a word, right, when they're, when they're translating the Bible. And so they just pick the most basic one, word, right? Jesus is the word, right? But it, 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 when, when in, the, in seminary, we would talk about it more as kind of like a spoken word, right? But what you see in this it's like the reason, the plan. And so in Greek philosophy, they would talk about logos in a lot of things. What is the intention, right? When you look at the whole cosmos, right, is there like an underlying kind of plan, a reason for all of these things? And so let me try to put it like this. The word of God is what God intends and what God, like, like his desires, right? His heart for all of humanity, right? Right? And so we, as human beings, 
And as people who don't really speak God's language, right, it's very hard for us to hear that. There are very few people in the Bible who seem to have this very conversational relationship with God, like people like Moses and these prophets, right? That's what made them special, is God would speak to them and inspire them, and they would start to reveal the word of God, right? What does God want for you? And last week, we talked all about the historical word, right? How this word was received by the people in a specific time and place in history, and you have to understand that. Right? And we do a lot of damage when we try to lift that word that was spoken to these people at this very particular time, and we try to bring it into 2022 and say, well, that's the word for me too. Well, last week we talked about like, you know, how Moses uh, was teaching the people about what to do when your oxen gores someone. And we mentioned last week, we're like, well, I don't own oxen. And there's all these very specific passages about skin you know, ailments and, and quarantining the people in skin ailments and you know, all these kinds of things, things that we don't really deal with on a regular basis anymore. And it's very clear that that word was not for us, at least not in 2022, right? It was for the people of God in their time. And you can learn principles of that, but the whole thing is you can't just take a word as a flat word. This existed for all time. But this was God's intention, trying to speak his heart into people in a very specific time. And he's still doing that. And so we mentioned last week that there's a lot of things that we face now that God never speaks of, right? Because it wasn't written in 2022. There's nothing in here about iPhones and about social media and about the kind of anxiety epidemic that we're facing now. There's a lot of stuff about anxiety, and we're going to definitely talk about that uh, in the weeks to come. But, you know, the very particular uh, place that we find ourselves in, right, God doesn't speak directly into that because how can he, right? He speaks into our lives in very general ways sometimes and sometimes in very specific ways sometimes to specific people. And so how do we interpret that? What are you going to use as your way of understanding that? Well, so this idea of logos is that understanding. How do you find the meaning behind the words? How do you understand God's plan for everyone, not just for people in a very specific time and place, but this is what it means philosophically. What is like the big master plan, right? And so for, I think, a lot of people, you know, this would be kind of good news, right? And and so the big claim, it's a big claim, that John is making is that Jesus is that logos. He's that underlying reason behind all things. He is the master plan, and his way of life is the master plan, right? And so you're going to see this. Um, let's, Let's read the rest of the passage. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So now you're going to start to understand why, when we talk about logos, when it says the whole world was made through Jesus, what does that mean? It means that if he's the master plan, then it's almost like, like God is like the architect, and Jesus is the plan. And when he creates the world, he's making it according to this plan. It's very kind of like Greek philosophy, right? Um, and so that's what it means, right? He was... Uh, uh, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. There's going to be this aspect 
of Jesus is the light. He's trying to illuminate things, but a lot of people are not going to understand. You definitely see this uh, in the story of Jesus. A lot of the Jewish leaders did not understand him. A lot of them didn't want to know him or didn't recognize him, right? He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. Friends, there's going to be things in this that even in me talking about Jesus, you know, we like to think of Jesus as like, you know, this very kind of like nice presence that like, like who would possibly reject Jesus? A lot of people did, right? And, and I think even a lot of people today, what I'm going to be talking about, this idea of Jesus as the logos, Jesus is the master plan, it's a little threatening to the world order that we have. Jesus is trying to give us a new world order. That's what it's about, a new master plan. And it's not the kind of master plan that we've built most of our lives on. I mean, I'm sorry, it it sounds like a little (laughs) incendiary, but the plans of capitalism, the plans of how we do, you know, world politics, these kinds of things, that's not Jesus's plan. And many times what people of power try to do is they just try to take Jesus They try to take some of his words, and we cherry-pick them, and we fit them into our agenda instead of the other way around. Looking at Jesus and his way of life and what he was bringing into this world, his commands, and looking at that as the master plan. And then we have to fit our lives into that, right? But very few of us do that. And it may be rightly so. A lot of the Jewish leaders saw that as threatening, right? He's trying to overturn tables. He's trying to overturn systems. Right? And so not everyone wanted to receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see this? You are born of the will of God, right? Because it comes from the logos. Does that make sense? That's the plan. That's the will of God. And so you are born of that when you are born in Christ, right? And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. This is actually not a very good translation. The literal translation is who is in the bosom of the Father. I think a lot of people, uh, when they're, they're uh, translating the, the Bible, they try to take out the things that like, maybe make people feel uncomfortable. And I don't know what you would think if it said he is in the bosom of the Father. Maybe like, people might giggle a little bit. you know, Like, bosom? Like, what? Uh, but it, it's, it's this kind of way of talking about this closeness that Jesus has with God, that, that Jesus is in the very center of the Father, right? very, held very intimately. He's in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. That's what this is all about. The Word became flesh. Why? Because we were walking in darkness before. We were like looking in half lights, right? We couldn't really see fully the Word of God. And so we talk often about Jesus becoming, you know, that the Word made flesh, in terms of relatability. We're like, oh, Jesus became like us. That's a very important message. I've preached that message many times, incarnational stuff. It's very, very important, the idea that Jesus became flesh. But the key point here, it's not about the relatability 
It's about the concreteness. The word became flesh. Before, you were guessing, right? What is the will of God, right? And we have some, you know, a contextual word that was given to you in history, right? But now, Jesus has come, and you can see him, and you can hear him, and you can touch him, right? And you can walk with him. Now the plan has become concretized, right? It's become, uh, you know, very, very flesh and blood. You can see it, right? And so now this is the fullness of this plan coming to us. So friends, um, where do we go with all of this? This might seem like kind of like theology 101 or something, you know, but I think this is very important for how we can hear the word of God, for how we can read the word of God. So there's kind of this five-cent word that they use in seminary and uh, in academia for how you interpret Scripture. Because, by the way, everybody wants to interpret Scripture, right? Can we agree on that? Because I know sometimes, like, in our Protestant history, we have these sayings like sola scriptura, right? Which sounds great, Scripture alone, right? But the problem with that is that you have to have a person to read that Scripture, And when you're reading that scripture, that person has all kinds of experiences and has a culture and has emotions and has, you know, all of these things that are informing how you read that scripture. So everyone has a lens. That's what hermeneutics is about. It's this idea of how do you interpret scripture? What is the lens by which you are reading that scripture? And so what I want to give to you is I want to give you a certain kind of lens, right? That has become my lens for reading all of scripture. And maybe for some of you, you've already been doing this, but you didn't really know that you were doing it. So uh, one of the things that, that I have to kind of say here, I've said this before, and you don't have to agree with me. Don't agree with me just because I say it, okay? But there is this kind of thing that we misunderstand, that a lot of people, a lot of Christians say, all of the Bible, all of the Bible, it is all true. Right? It's all equally true. And I've said this before. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I believe that, right? But what people really mean by that is they think all of the Bible has equal weight. And I don't think actually anyone really believes that. But the problem with that kind of thinking is that you can take any old you know, scripture passage, obscure passage, or one that maybe you even take out of context, And you take it and you put it equal with the words of Jesus. And then you start to say like, well, okay, you have your words, I have my words. And have you ever gotten in a Bible fight with someone? You're just like quoting scripture at each other, right? And like one person is saying one thing to prove their point, and then the other person is saying their thing to prove their point. We call it proof texting, right? You already have a point, and you're just going to the text to prove your point, right? And so it's not letting the word of God inform you You are informed already, and you're just getting the word of God to be on your side, to make your point more powerful, right? And that's what a lot of people do. And so this idea that the Bible is all equally true and has equal weight, I think is something that's not actually borne out, right? I I thought this might be a little cheeky, but, you know, if you just kind of like open the Bible, and maybe there's this obscure uh, passage about, yeah, let's just take the skin disease example. You know, and, and you're reading that and you're like, mm, the word of God for the people of God. Mm, that's my life verse right there. Mm, if you see a pustule and you see pus coming out, mm, yeah, that's going to be my life. Is that your life verse? 
Is that anyone's life verse? Probably not, right? We all kind of give different priority to Scripture, right? We already do it. We're already using a lens. So what I'm trying to give you is a lens that I think is, is well, I think it's the correct lens because it's what I, I think, you know, we as Christians have come to, I think. But I think a lot of us, we've lost it, Right? Because the Bible, it's really long. It's a really, really long book, right? And there's a lot of stuff in it. And so you've got to figure out. It's not about picking and choosing. Friends, please do not mis- misunderstand me. I'm not saying you're picking and choosing what you want to hear. That's what a lot of people hear when people talk like this. But what I'm trying to say is everyone picks and chooses, right? Because you're a human being. And you can't absorb all that information equally. And so what is going to be the priority? What is going to inform how you see the rest of Scripture? And for me, it's the Jesus hermeneutic. We're going to see everything through the lens of Christ. So I want to make a few points here. Jesus is the fullness of God's intent for humanity. That's what it's meant by the logos, right? He is what we aspire to. And it is in Christ that the law and the story of salvation for God's people make sense and reach their culmination. Right? Sometimes I talk about the Bible as like this story in this history. And sometimes what a lot of us do, are doing is we're looking at like, you know, chapter one or chapter two or chapter three. And we're reading chapter three without keeping in mind the ending. And when you do that, then you're taking it out of context in terms of the entire story, at least as far as, as Christians are concerned. Right? We believe that this story is moving somewhere. Right? And it's moving to Christ. And so Christ is the fullness. He is the, 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 the culmination of this story. Right? And so if we want to know how to be the best possible human, we have to understand what Jesus is teaching us. Right? That his plan for us. Right? And, and so that's uh, how we're reading scripture as Jesus is um, the ultimate plan. Okay, second point. So to make this a little more practical or to kind of, um, you know, talk about how we're interpreting scripture, Jesus in the fullness of his character, his manner of life, and his words should take precedence over cherry-picked or historical verses that may seemingly contradict the character of Christ and his commands. This is probably the most controversial thing I'm going to (laughs) say. Sit with that for a moment. I'm saying that the words of Jesus should take precedence over other scripture. And some of you may get really uncomfortable because you're like, but it's all the word of God. It's all inspired, right? Uh, Yes, friends, I'm I'm not trying to make light. I I know for some people, this might make you squirm a little bit. But I want to show you something uh, in what we just read. So we just kind of like read it real quick, but I want to take a little deeper dive into verses 14 through 18. So I want to show you something that is not probably in your Bibles, but it's probably in the footnote. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We already saw that. We have seen his glory, glory as the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is something that's full? It's complete. What's something that's not full? <laughs> Incomplete. Right? So if this word is the full word, then the other word is not complete yet. You guys follow me? Does that make sense? It says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is the thing. Okay, I already told you. Sometimes when, when they're like, 
you know, translating the Bible, they take out words that are troublesome, and they replace them with words that are a little nicer. But when they do that, what comes next doesn't make any sense, right? And that's how you kind of know that they kind of fudged with it a little bit. And they even tell you, right, that, that, that if you look at your footnote, you'll see that grace upon grace is not the Greek. That's not what it says. Um, it kind of, it says that. But the next part doesn't make any sense. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Like, this just seems like out of left field, right? But the word upon in Greek is anti. I wrote it up there, right? So anti is how you pronounce it in the Greek, right? But it's the same. That's where we get our, our English root, anti. What is anti? It's against, right? It's the opposite of, right? Opposed to, right? And so, yeah, that's what it's saying. The word upon, it's anti, right? And so this is what it's actually saying. It's saying, for from his fullness, we have all received, oh, sorry, um, we have all received grace that replaces grace. Um, So, uh, oh, sorry, it didn't update. My bad. Um, But if, uh, uh, yeah, so, so in... Yeah, sorry, I updated my notes and it didn't update in the slide, so I apologize for that. But it says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace that replaces grace. Or kind of to make it a little bit nicer, the grace upon grace is the idea that grace that comes on top of the previous grace. So that's a nice way of saying it replaces that grace, right? So what is it saying? Now the next part I think will make sense. For the law was given through Moses. So what is it saying? That's the earlier grace, right? You received the grace before. You received it in the law through Moses. Grace and truth, right? The fullness of grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so the claim that John is making, it's an incendiary claim. I understand that, right? That's why we try to soften it, right? This is grace is coming on top of it. It's replacing it, right? So friends, don't take my word for it. Look at what it says in Scripture, right? Look at what I said before. Jesus, in the fullness of his character, his manner of life, and his words should take precedence over cherry-picked or historical verses that may seemingly contradict the character of Christ and his commands. Because it's not my words, friends, right? It's in Scripture. This idea that Jesus is coming and this grace is coming on top of it. It does take precedence. It's supposed to. Because it's the fullness of God's will and plan for us, right? So, friends, what do we do with this? So, I mean, yeah, I hope you can see that when you're reading Scripture, that we should read through the lens of Jesus. And we could honestly spend, like, I mean, you know, like, seriously, so much time just figuring out what that means. And we will. We will in further weeks. But I can't leave you without just giving you a little taste of what that looks like. And perhaps, like, like, I don't want this to be reductionist, like to say this is the only th- way that we can read through the lens of Christ, but possibly the most important way. So the, my third point, the desire of Jesus is for us to live in true love and union with God and each other. And so the lens that Jesus is most often going to look through is the lens of love, right? And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, 
Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's John chapter 13, 34 through 35. It's a new commandment. He understands that there was a time where we were always loving the way that Jesus loved, right? Jesus loved sacrificially. You didn't always see that in the history of God's people. Sometimes they would see an enemy and they would kill the enemy, right? And historically, there might have been reasons for that because that enemy might have obliterated all the people of Israel, right? And so, yes, they would kill the enemy. But Jesus now, he lays down his life for people. So, friends, this is what happens. When we are looking at Scripture, and if you are a nation that wants to go to war and you want to kill your enemies, which Scripture are you going to pick? If you believe they're equally true and equally weighted, you can just pick whichever one serves your purposes. You're going to pick the one that that talks about war, killing your enemies. That's what we've done. But if we take seriously what it's talking about, grace that comes upon the other grace, it takes precedence. We can't do that anymore. We've got to look at what Jesus teaches us about loving our enemies, right? About loving sacrificially, right? And so that's what we're talking about. It's a new command. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that this was going to upset the apple cart, that people weren't going to like it, that people were going to fight him. People in power were going to be like, whoa, 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 Jesus, you're talking crazy. And they did. And they executed him for it, right? Because he was completely turning the apple cart upside down. He was saying, hey, I want to show you. You saw in part before, but now I want to show you the full picture. There's another place in scripture where it talks about this idea of seeing things kind of murkily, but then seeing it clearly. And it's in 1 Corinthians 13. This is where I want to end, friends. And it's on the most famous passage. You you all have heard it read at at weddings uh, about love. And there's this part that doesn't really make sense to us, that we just kind of gloss over in the whole 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13 passage because it seems out of place. And we think it refers to heaven. But I think it refers to logos, the ultimate plan. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And so, friends, don't get me wrong. The knowledge of the past is not wrong knowledge. It's just incomplete, right? And so Jesus has come to fulfill it, to fill it out. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Our old ways of doing life in God. I think we were supposed to replace that. I think we were supposed to put that away. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall now know fully. Jesus, the word of God, full of grace and truth. Even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these, is love. Friends, As we look at the word of God, um, I hope we can see through the lens of Christ and specifically through the lens of Jesus' love. 
I'm not saying that the other things aren't important. God's holiness, it's important, friends. Don't get me wrong, right? Other things are important. But oftentimes, I think where the church has gone wrong is when we have taken one of those things and we've either put it as an equivalent or, I mean, to be honest, you got to choose one, right? And usually some of those other things we put above God's love. We say, no, today we're going to believe that's more important. So I can kill my enemies in the name of God's holiness. Or I can hate or shun people or ostracize people. Or I can exercise my greed and my selfishness for one of these reasons that I'm going to call God. But in the face of Jesus' love, it melts all of that. And there are many Christ followers who have seen that, and it upturns our lives. It makes us rethink the way we're looking at the entire world. Because if it is about this kind of sacrificial love that prioritizes the people on the bottom, then we need to start treating people different. We need to start prioritizing how we live our lives and who we think is important and how we treat them. All of that needs to change in the face of this logos, this master plan, the fullness of God's word, the fullness of God's intent for all of humanity. Can I ask the praise team to come up? I just want to take a moment. I I know I said a mouthful. I said a lot, friends. Some of you have heard this before. Some of you, maybe you're hearing it in this form, maybe, you know, in a new way, and some of you may not like it. Some of you might need to wrestle with this. And that's perfectly fine, friends. So let's just take a moment and just let it sit. Even if you're going to ultimately say, yeah, Pastor Steve, I don't agree with everything, totally fine. But can we just let it sit? Because we said this last week. It's only going to become the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they're just words, right? So, God, we give to you, Lord, my too many words. Can you just take them, Lord, and impress upon us, Lord, what we need to hear right now? Maybe to some of the places that have become a little dry for us, maybe in some of the assumptions that we've made or some of the ways that, you know, if we would be so bold to just confess, Lord, that we've abused your scripture. We as a church, Lord, we have done monstrous things with the word of God for our own gain. We've twisted it, we've manipulated it, and we have prioritized other things above your son and how he lived and how he loved us and how he lifted up the people in the bottom and how he always loved us with this fierce but also gentle love. Lord, help us to hear, not just with our ears, not just with our minds, but with our very hearts. Teach us, Lord, how to continually hear your word and maybe sometimes struggle with it. It's not always going to be clear to us, God. But by your Holy Spirit, teach us and press us further and deeper into your heart and the heart of Christ. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.